Welcome Bet Riders around the world. My name is Gary Solomon and you're watching the Laidback Bike Report. How's everybody doing today? We are so glad to have you with us. We have a great show in store for you today. Let me tell you a little bit about it. We're going to kick it off like we always do with Hans Agala and the recumbent news. Uh, he's got a lot to talk about today. Uh, our main featured segment is that with uh, WizWheels uh, marketing director, uh, Marshall Randall. Who is going to talk to us about their recent acquisition of recumbent CycleCon, a subject that we've been talking about for so long, the uh, the buyout from Charles Coyne. So Marshall's going to uh, kind of dish all the information that I think you guys want to know about. I asked him a lot of questions. He was very forthcoming. So uh, we look forward to uh, showing you all that. Next, we have my friend Richard Myers. I've known Richard for a very long time, have ridden with him on the trail. He's a gentleman who's been around for a long time, designer, builder, racer of uh, streamliners and all sorts of recumbent uh, uh, subjects that he knows so much about over the years. We had the opportunity to travel to his home in Xenia, Ohio, and record him for an interview there. I think you're going to enjoy that. We are fortunate to have uh, Joseph Janning with us again today. Joseph, uh, last month, spent some time uh, on the road in Italy with a Velomobile group. Uh, and uh, he is going to talk about that tour and uh, show us a, an amazing video by one of the gentlemen who uh, was riding on that tour. So uh, great video. I think you guys will enjoy that. We always enjoy talking to Joseph. Uh, in sports today with uh, Denny and Larry, we have a couple of interesting items. Uh, Denny uh, had the opportunity to sit down with the new uh, trike one-hour record holder, James Coxon from the UK. And uh, he's a great guy. I, I think you'll enjoy hearing about his uh, record attempt, a uh, recent one, a couple weeks ago, actually. And uh, Larry Seidman is going to tell us uh, uh, a little bit more about the senior games that uh, are coming up and uh, update us on that and tell you why you should be uh, maybe thinking about uh, attending one of those. First, uh, we are going to meet our crew, the people that make this all possible. Uh, Trey, you want to bring everybody up here today and we will... Uh introduce them all first of all yeah trey is uh taking on the director's mantle today so we're seeing how he does with that uh i'm sure he's going to do great so trey burgoyne in uh, jackson mississippi hi trey <laughs> howdy how y'all it's great to have you with us and uh out in colorado springs colorado is larry seidman and he's kind of taking uh, trey's job up today just because we like switching stuff up yeah that's right switcheroo larry, thank yep thanks for being with us hi welcome to do it 
All right. And uh, down in Cold Spring, Kentucky, under a bridge. He's not a troll. He's Larry Varney. Hi, Larry. How you doing? Are you sure about that? You gave away my hiding place. Hi, everybody. We're going to have to vote on that. Yeah. Yeah, That may not turn out well at all. And uh, let's see, in, uh, in Sayre, Pennsylvania, it is our new, our not our news director, but our sports director, Denny Voorhees. Hi, hi there, Denny. Hi, how are you doing, Gary? Everybody else, great to be back here this month. All right, and uh, in Germany, in Bonn, is uh, Joseph Janning. He's back from vacation, so we're glad to have him back with us. And Joseph, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Gary. It's good to be with you all. All right, always great to have you. Okay, so let's uh, let me just uh, get rid of uh, a couple of little check off items here. I want to tell you guys about the live chat. We've talked about many times before, but please avail yourself of that if you are watching live. Uh, tell us where you're watching from. Uh, chat amongst yourselves. Ask questions uh, or make comments on what you see. We are really glad to have you guys live. And if you'd like to support the laid back bike report. Uh, there's a few ways to do that. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. That would be great. And uh, don't forget to click that little white eye up there. It will take you to the Laidback Bike Report website where you can find lots more information on uh, past shows, what's coming up. Uh, you can buy a hat there, uh, all kinds of stuff. So uh, the laidbackbikereport.com is where you'll find that and you might become a Patreon supporter like some of these folks right here. You can do that at patriot.com for as little as a dollar a month. All right. Our show is sponsored by amazing industry folks. And let me tell you about them right now. First of all, it's TerraCycle, makers of exquisite recumbent parts and accessories for your bent and trail side trikes. A fine recumbent trike shop on the Withlacoochee Trail in Florida and now in Knoxville, Tennessee as well. And TerraTrike Greenspeed, the best in leisure, performance, adventure, touring, electric, and portability. Wherever your adventure leads, TerraTrike will take you there. And Greenspeed, where Ian Sims designs bring performance through science and engineering. And... Laidback Cycles, the top USA dealer for TerraTrike and the premier source for CatTrike, Ice, and Greenspeed. We give you the freedom to ride. And Connecticut Yankee Peddler. We feature multiple brands of trikes, including electric assist models. Test rides and Southern Iowa hospitality are always available at our mega store in Cheriton. And Avenue Trikes. With the gearing you need and the comfort you want, it's time to enjoy riding again. They're in stock and ready to ship, and only $19.95. Dealer inquiries are welcome. And Azub. This company is a three-time winner of the Trike of the Year Award and has brought several unique technological solutions to the world of recumbent bikes, including the titanium front suspension on the TIEFLY trike. Combined with the tuned rear suspension, it provides its owner with absolute comfort throughout the ride. And Recumbent PDX. With a 150 trike inventory, Recumbent PDX is the West Coast's only cat trike megastore. 
We have over 20 trikes on our showroom floor just waiting for you to test ride through our beautiful Portland neighborhood. Call or email to schedule your test ride today. And EcoCycles, leaders in electric assist and customer support with a line of specialized conversion kits to retrofit just about any bent model out there. Check them out at their new website, cycles.eco, right now. All right, folks, let's get on with the show. Let's kick it off with our pal Hansa. Unfortunately, can't be with us live today, but he just recently, <laughs> moments ago, sent us this news report. So, Trey, let's have a look. Hi, guys. Hansa Gala from News here. You know, uh, quite often uh, when preparing the, the news section for the laid-back bike report, I have the feeling that there is not really a thing to report uh, from the entire month. Uh, the recumbent world is time to time a bit slow and um, there are not so many news coming. But th this last month, June 2022, was kind of uh, crowded, let's say. Of course, uh, the, the major news item and was the, that uh, the recumbent cycle cone uh, was acquired by Wiswheels. Uh, we were, for, for weeks, we were speculating and waiting waiting for Charles Coyne, the founder of RCC, to inform us about the person or company that uh, acquired uh, recumbent cyclecon and what will be what the future of it uh, will be. But uh, today's laid back bike report is mainly about this topic, so I won't really continue reporting about it. Uh, then there were two, let's say, interesting uh, developments coming from the recumbent industry. iStrikes uh, uh, introduced their uh, Sprint X365 uh, recumbent trike uh, that is kind of mountain um, or off-road recumbent trike, let's, let's say. It's an e-version with Shimano Steps motors. Uh, two two batteries, uh, 504 watt hours batteries that uh, give you quite a long range, uh, even if in difficult conditions. And the name comes from uh, the Schwalbe GT365 tires that are kind of off-road, uh, let's say serious touring. Uh, tires that are uh, good for such use. You can combine uh, the motor, the Shimano Steps motor, either with automatic Enviolo stepless system, or you can uh, combine it with a, a standard cassette. Another news uh, or development is that HP Velotechnic announced their speed machine in its uh, S-pedelec version. That is an e-assist as well, but not uh, the one limited to 25 kilometers per hour or um, 
20 miles per hour in the USA, but a faster version limited to 45 kilometers per hour or 28 miles per hour. Uh, it is powered by NeoDrive Z20RS uh, rear hub motor. It has 651 watt-hours battery underneath the frame, uh, centrally located, so it improves the center of gravity of the bike and the stability of the bike. And uh, it has full suspension and it is a great touring and commuting uh, recumbent. Uh, and basically the first uh, S-Pedelec uh, two-wheel recumbent uh, officially produced by one of the major recumbent manufacturers. And then there is Matt Gallet that provided us with his thrilling spectacle of, uh, of a lost trike uh, the TIEFLY X that he just got from ASAP and he lost it basically on his flight back home from Austria to the USA. While it was not him who lost the, uh, the trike but the airline uh, and uh, it was lost in the du Dublin airport. He was looking for it for a couple of days. He was mentioning several major news uh, in, in Ireland and finally some of the guys uh, working in the Dublin airport found the trike or found the box and the box is now moving in direction to Met. Uh, this story is not finished yet, so we are all awaiting the trike to reach Met. But for quite some days it was uh, uh, nerve-wracking uh, story, let's say, and uh, uh, quite some people were or ha have been following uh, Matt and um, and his lost trike, let's say. So another interesting news came from Australia. Uh, Irish athlete Brian Taffe, uh, Taffe, I, I hope I pronounce it well. Uh, uh, cycled unsupported around Australia uh, in the record time. Uh, let me see the numbers. It is m slightly more than mm, 15,000 kilometers. That is mm, slightly more than 9,300 miles and he did it in 44 days. Uh, again, you can read the story as well as all other stories on recumbent.news. So I really uh, recommend to visit the webpage and read all the stories there. And you can also get more information about the recumbent webinar that is organized by uh, Stefano Bonazzoli from Italy, the owner of uh, Slyway and an avid cyclist and recumbent racer. Uh, he organizes a series of uh, webinars about different topics. Uh, uh, the, the next one is uh, July 19th about climbing on recumbents. So you can uh, join the webinar. You can even share your experience or thoughts. All you need to do is send him an email 
and the email address and all other information can be found on recumbent.news again. So uh, that's, that's all from me for today. Uh, enjoy the laid-back bike report and yeah, see you next month, latest. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Hansa. We appreciate uh, that report. All right, let's delve into it, folks. Uh, Recumbent CycleCon. Yes, it's happening in October, as always, and big changes coming up. Uh, instead of me blabbering on about it here, why don't we, uh, why don't we have a listen to uh, what Marshall Randall from WizWheels has to say about it? You're going to learn a lot more right now, Trey. All right, guys, we are at long last with uh, my buddy, Marshall Randall, who is the Director of Marketing and Sales at WizWheels. And as many of you already know, uh, WizWheels has re recently uh, become the owner of Recumbent CycleCon. They have taken over the reins. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Marshall, welcome to the Layback Back Report. Hey, Gary, thank you. Good to be here. Well, it is great to have you. Honestly, our viewers are chomping at the bit as well as I am chomping at the bit to find out more about what the future of CycleCon is. Uh, so if we could, could we just start with the story of the purchase? Tell us, uh, tell us what uh, went on. Well, I'll tell you, Gary, uh, it really all started with uh, an email from a friend of ours, uh, Pat from uh, TerraCycle. And he reached out to me, you know, what the viewers don't know is you and I have a great relationship. So that was, that's always kind of neat. So I reached out to you to kind of poke at it because there was this email from Pat that uh, mentioned that it was up for sale. And, you know, how did the, some of the exhibitors feel about it? So from those contacts with you and Pat, I reached out to um, Charles uh, Coyne, uh, owner of uh, Recumbent CycleCon. And basically just kind of asked him, you know, kind of what was up. And he, in an email, and he instantly called me and we had a great chat about it. But what came out of that chat was really the knowledge that if it wasn't acquired, it wasn't going to happen. And uh, Mark Cruz uh, and I from, from WizWheels uh, talked it over quite a bit. And we soon came to the conclusion we should kind of broach this subject with the whole team at WizWheels. And the whole team kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, recumbent cyclocon is such an integral part uh, of the recumbent community, if you will, uh, from consumers to dealers. Everybody loves going to it. It's such a great meeting place. And Charles had indicated if it wasn't purchased, it wasn't going to happen. And and we all came to the conclusion that it was something we should pursue. Uh, that being the purchase of uh, recumbent cyclocon and. And I guess, you know, kind of at the end of that, uh, to quote Freddie Mercury, the late Freddie Mercury, the show must go on. And we are the champions, <laughs> my friend. Uh, so uh, let's, that's great. So the, the contracts then were signed. You have now acquired Recumbent. What have you actually acquired? Recumbent CycleCon. Uh, uh, Chuck also had the publication, Recumbent and Tandem Riders magazine. Yeah. So yeah. what have you acquired actually? So literally, yeah, that's a great question. We acquired Coin Publishing and all of its assets. Uh, which one of those is recumbent cyclocon, uh, as well as 
Charles had plans for some other expos to kind of fold into that. So those are included in, you know, all the URLs, all the social media outlets for uh, coin publishing, which include, you know, Recumbent Cycle Con. Let's go to October of this year. Uh, what everybody really wants to know, there's there's going to be a lot to talk about here as far as the future of CycleCon. And we've chatted a little bit about this already. Yeah. What can we expect for the 2022 recumbent CycleCon in Dayton? Uh, uh, going on as planned and uh, let us know what uh, you know about what's going to happen there and what changes may occur. So, you know, the most important thing is that the show goes on, as, as kind of as I alluded to. So that's that's literally job number one. Will this recumbent cycle con in October be like the others in that we're going to have a, a test track, we're going to have the exhibitors from around the world, any changes there? Uh, um, will there be a dealer day on Friday and then open to the public Saturday? Is is all that going to continue as a previous? Absolutely. So making sure the event goes off as it always has, because Charles has done a great job with it historically, uh, that's, that's an absolute. So uh, exhibitors, um, from that perspective, we're pretty intent on bringing in more exhibitors than ever before, even for 2022. Uh, there are a plethora of accessory and component manufacturers that uh, we're working with and communicating with uh, about attending the expo this year. Uh, there's manufacturers whose products are used by recumbent riders who haven't historically attended the show. So we're reaching out to them and would really like to pump it up in that regard. So well, having said that, then if if there are exhibitors, someone who wants to show their wares at this uh, Recumbent Cycle Con in October, they can still contact you guys uh, and oh, become an exhibitor at this point. Absolutely. We still have room. And like I said, we're, we're still, you know, connecting with with more exhibitors. Day to day. OK, good enough. And then. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So that's track. You, you had mentioned test track and demos. Uh, for sure, there's going to be a demo track. Uh, the fairground there has uh, quite an expansive area. So uh, Mark and I are going to go down and do kind of a site visit here in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we all use Google Maps and all sorts of tools uh, and looking at it. And it looks like we could have probably one of the best demo tracks that there's ever been. Uh, and, and certainly at any of the uh, uh, recumbent cycle cons that uh, I've attended. It should really be awesome. Okay. And uh, how about seminars? Uh, we'll continue to see seminars this year? Yep. Same thing there. Still have some seminars. Um, there's going to be some really engaging ones. Uh, some of these have already been set up by Charles, um, but we're working through a list of uh, individuals, uh, some of which you and I have discussed, and we're reaching out to some of those folks as well. The one thing that I would say is I think that that's going to be a much more experiential piece of the show. I think that they're, we're hoping to get some people that have some real adventures to talk about and tell their stories about what they've done, you know, on their recumbents. Exciting. Okay. So Marshall, for those exhibitors and those um, uh, recumbent riders who want to uh, exhibit and attend uh, in October, uh, can is the best place for them to do that to head to the current recumbent cycle con website? 
Yeah, and don't be surprised uh, if over the next couple of weeks you see, hmm, I'm going to say drastic changes to the website. Uh, we're actually working on it right now. Um, so it'll have a different look feel, but it'll still have all the same functionality and some of the forms will be exactly the same. Um, but it definitely will have a different look within probably a month. Very good. So, yeah, so we'll and we'll link the uh, website uh, in the description below, as we always do. That's that's great. So very exciting news. Uh, it's great to have uh, Recumbent CycleCon coming back after a couple of years. And uh, we look forward to that. Now, let's let's change our focus a bit to the future. Now, you uh, have told me that you have uh, spent a considerable amount of time now talking to uh, others in the industry about recumbent cycle con. And I know you can't tell us everything that's up WizWheel's sleeve. Does WizWheel have sleeves? I don't know. But um, what? tell us about the future of recumbent cycle con. You know, maybe one of the biggest changes right now that we're working on doesn't have necessarily an immediate effect, but what we're starting to form is a group, a team to kind of help guide RCC. It's a recumbent show for all the manufacturers, for all the consumers. And though we own it, we kind of, I want to say don't own it because everybody owns it. So one of the things we want to do is, and we've started to do this, is we have a core group of leaders uh, from recumbent manufacturers, and we're meeting with them on a semi-regular basis to talk about those changes and what they'd like to see. Um, we don't want to be the only driver in this vehicle. Um, so I'll just leave that statement like that. So I, I think that's pretty significant there, uh, that it's just not us. Uh, it, it's many individuals that will be helping to guide the future of this. Um, that said, everybody's on the same page with making it a much more, I'm going to use this word a lot, Gary, a much more experiential show. Uh, we really want to pump up the opportunities for both dealers and consumers uh, to experience the recumbent trikes and all the accessories. So the experiential piece will be both inside the expo and then out riding trikes. So, you know, I'll just put out there, one of the things we talk about is like opportunities for everybody to go on a group ride, whether that's multiple group rides or one, it's gonna start somewhere. Uh, and that's, that's gonna be a pretty significant piece of it, that experiential piece. Let me shoot some specifics at you and uh, you can tell me whether you haven't got there yet. Uh, how about uh, change in the time of year of the event? This mm. has always been in the fall. And of course, I've talked to so many uh, manufacturers, uh, obviously you as well. It does not always turn out to be the most opportune time for showing the, the latest innovations in the industry. So have you talked about perhaps changing the time of year? I don't think there will be a time change or a venue change for 2023. I'll go there first. After that, I think anything's possible. And, and we'll let all this information guide what the next step is. Uh, whether it's, you know, a rotating through three different venues, uh, East Coast, Midwest, and then West Coast. You know, just keep kind of rotating it that way, but always at the same venue. 
the time of year you may or may not know was kind of driven by when interbike happened, when that was a huge expo for the cycling industry. Um, but we're not guided by that anymore. So with this experiential piece being a significant driver for us, uh, it may well, in fact, make sense to change the time. Okay. So, but, but, to, but 2022 and 2023, you anticipate same time of year and in Dayton. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That's important to know. That's great. I was lucky enough to attend uh, the European Spetsi uh, events uh, for uh, a few years and, uh, and had fell, fallen in love with that sort of, uh, uh, that sort of exposition type of thing, uh, less restrictive maybe than what we've seen at CycleCon. Mm -hmm. In terms of having people come from uh, around with maybe some of their own innovations, uh, perhaps outside, not necessarily in the venue itself, that type of thing, but uh, more of a festival type of atmosphere. Is this something that you have thought of and discussed? Yeah, Mark and I have talked about this uh, quite a bit, and I'm going to attack it from kind of two different angles, if you will, Gary. We definitely want to make it a more inclusive show. We'd like to bring in other niche areas of the industry, you know, whether that's cargo, folding, or some other focus areas. Uh, that's something that's definitely being talked about quite a bit. Um, when it comes to SPESI, and, and we've heard this from a number of uh, our European friends uh, from some of the brands across the shore there. Um, I don't know that we think so much about SPESI. Uh, I think we aspire for everybody else to want to be like RCC. So... Uh, I think we think about making it the best it can be for here in this. I hate to say it this way, but here in the States. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you've talked about a number of changes already. So we are going to anxiously look forward to, to seeing what those are. So one of the things that I hear a lot, Marshall, from the public is that they would like to go to CycleCon and be able to buy things. And I, I, this is a huge, this is a huge difference from what usually happens. You go there in terms of, obviously, in terms of bikes and trikes. Uh, in the past, those have usually been uh, what's there from the manufacturers snapped up by the dealers, of course. Uh, but even in terms of um, uh, accessories and that sort of thing, they were, you know, they'd like to go to a to an expo and buy some stuff for their current trikes, bikes, and, and that kind of thing as well. Is there any is there any way that this may suddenly appear in the in a future cycle? It, it could happen this year. I'm no promises there, but it is something again that we're talking about. Yeah, we have been exposed to that question. I would say every year we go to uh, RCC. People come there, they want to, you know, they want to buy accessories. They want to buy stuff. The, the trikes present a little bit of a different problem, but so here's the real issue, Gary, is taxes need to be collected and taxes need to be then dispersed to the state of Ohio in this instance. And not everybody is set up to do that. So I think what we wonder about is inviting a couple of the key retailers to go ahead and, and set up shop uh, and have a, a booth there uh, specifically for that purpose. 
but it's a little bit of a difficult one um, because they would set up the way it's done right now. They'd be setting up for dealer day as well. And they really wouldn't need to be there for dealer day. And you can't really have them setting up on dealer day because it disrupts that flow. So there's some logistic pieces of it that need to be figured out. And I think we're up for that challenge to, to figure it out. But again, whether or not it happens this year or next year is still to be decided. But I, I know consumers would really enjoy that ability. Will there be a dealer event this year? Um, we fully anticipate having some form of dealer event like there has been in the past. Um, you know, Hansa, Pat, all of them have said, man, really open it up and make it something mm, a less formal, more relaxing atmosphere, maybe, you know, bring in a band or something. I, you know, there's everything's on the table for that. I just know that we... We have the limitations of time and what we can get done in the amount of time we have. Yes. All right, then, Marshall, thank you so much for bringing us up to date on the upcoming Recumbent CycleCon and future CycleCons. We uh, are going to keep our eyes on this very closely. Uh, CycleCon something very dear to my heart where we kind of got our start, the Layback Box yeah. Report. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing what WizWheels uh, does with this amazing recumbent event. Indeed. Thanks for having me on. And I would add to that last day. But yeah, it's where you and I first met. That's right. You work for RCC. I don't know that I'd have this friendship. So, yeah, it's a good thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marshall. You bet. Take care. And we appreciate uh, WizWheel's uh, cooperation with the Laidback Bike Report, their transparency uh, as uh, these negotiations uh, have concluded. So, uh, we really look forward to working with them at uh, this and future recumbent cycle cons, guys. And I hope to see you uh, as many as possible of you there this year as well. All right, let's move along uh, to our next segment. It is with uh, a good friend of mine, Richard Myers, uh, who has been in the recumbent community for a very long time. He's a local legend. I think he needs to be a national or inter international legend. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation we'd had with him uh, about a month ago at his home. So, Trey, let's, let's see what Richard has to say. We are here in Xenia, Ohio, with uh, our good friend Richard Myers. Richard, how are you today? Uh, better than I was yesterday. Not as good as I will be in a few days. Good, good. Yeah, Richard's had a little bit of uh, health uh, problems from uh, time to time, and he's dealing with that right now. So we are happy to have you with us on the Laidback Bike Report. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, let's let's start with a few questions. Sure. All right. Uh, Richard, um, where did you grow up? I grew up here in Xenia. I moved here from Columbus, uh, suburb of Columbus, uh, when I was about four or five years old. And uh, actually, it was Marysville, Ohio, is where I was from, born at. And I've lived here the rest of my life. Uh, I've also lived in New York City and Toledo and uh, all through Virginia, thanks to my work, which was a telephone installation on the switching board, switchboards there. 
Who did you work for? I worked for, uh, well, they kept changing the names. Uh, Western Electric started with, then AT&T and Lucent. I think there's a uh, Nokia signs my paychecks now. That's all I'm interested in, just sign my retirement checks. If you wouldn't mind, tell us how old you are now. Well, I'm 85 right now. In uh, the 24th of next month, I'll be 86. Tell us about your childhood. What was your childhood like? Uh... A lot of hassle in school and a waste of time, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> and uh, you didn't—you weren't a particularly good student. I wasn't a particularly good student there. Uh, being small, a little bit shorter as I am, I couldn't get the basketball up to the hoop. I couldn't uh, get over the bar with a, when I tried to pole vault. Uh, I wasn't very fast running. The only thing I had a speed at was race walking. But the coach just threw it in for one day. I didn't know that years later that would come back and be a big part of my life. But uh, I, you know, it's a typical kid. I started out on a scooter. I never did have a bike until or a tricycle until later. And I uh, used to go with my friends. We would pedal out to the local airport, which is about five miles from here, and hop rides. The guys, of course, you can't do it today, but we'd go up, hey, mister, can I ride with you around the pattern? And off we'd go around the pattern and come back and land there. So I, I've ridden in a little pub. Piper Cups and and interesting time. Then we get on our bikes and we'd head back. So every time I see young kids out there on the trail, I hearken back to that time when the bicycle was my freedom, like it's their freedom. What got you interested in mechanical things and bicycles? <laughs> what? Why did you develop an interest in that? Well, I spent summers in my farm at my grandfather's farm. You know. It, the dogs and I'd run down the creek and everything, and I, I got to uh, drive the ladder or drive the tractor back and forth, pulling the load of uh, hay up in the top of the uh, top of the barn. There, it was an interesting, interesting way to grow up. Uh, I wish every kid could spend some time on the farms in the summertime. Tell you the story. My grandfather was a little fellow like me. My grandmother. Uh, they all lived in Columbus. She said, I'm going to marry that man. My grandfather was riding his bicycle. He jumped off his bicycle, pulled out his big pocket watch to see what kind of speed he got there. So if it wasn't for the bicycle, I wouldn't be here. Now, my interest in uh, in mechanics have always always been there. I was constantly dismantling something. Dad always had stuff in the barn that I'd go in and take apart and try to put back together which included his good watch that I dismantled with a broken razor blade and then couldn't get it back together. Uh, interest in aerodynamics, I was, I was fascinated by the uh, Bonneville speed trials there and how beautiful and slick those machines look and how much aerodynamics played into their kind of speed. Where were you first introduced to recumbent uh, bikes? Where did that all come from? Well, uh, there was a group of us in Yellow, Yellow Springs once a month, speed skaters. And we'd take off, go to Xenia, then come back. Uh, one day, uh, this guy called Tom Olinger showed up, 
and he had a, a low racer. Hmm, this is interesting looking thing there. And I ran over him. Well, what actually happened was parts kept dropping off that darn thing, and I would hit him in the hit him in the dark there somewhat. Uh, they also had uh, the the shop where we uh, skated out of uh, was starting to have recumbent bikes, and I was. I'm always interested in, in the odd things. Uh, you know, I never had the Schwinn because uh, I didn't want the dank on Schwinn. And so I ended up buying a bikey. And that uh, Tom and I rode a lot. He rode in his streamliner, and I was on my bikey. And it was it was fun going down through the trail and coming up some guy passing him, and, and he'd get all ticked off and try to pass us back. And we'd just crank the recumbents up a little higher and, and, and leave them. Did you have the bikey? Did you have the the front fairing as well? Uh, yeah, I built a front fairing for it earlier, uh, later in my career with it. There, that was the first fairing I ever made. That was out of coreplast, first of many <laughs> that I've made. Can you take me through your your life as a recumbent builder, racer? What were the bikes? What were the races? Uh, as I was waiting for Tom to, to build the bike that he promised me, which never happened, I, uh, um, I started on an older, uh, I think it was a 24-inch bike with a full suspension on it there. And I modified that to, to into a recumbent that I used 26-inch wheels on. And I built a coroplast body around it. Uh, I also had it also equipped at one time with uh, uh, contact paper. In fact, one of my uh, memories is going down the trail in Yellow Springs, which is, uh, of course, near the horse barn there. And this horse reared like mad. Well, the reason was that my fairing on my recumbent looked like an animal. It had brown stripes on it, and it had two big reflectors as eyes on there. <laughs> Fortunately, the woman was very good, and she was able to control it. And I put my put the bike in the ditch, and finally we got the horse to sniff me, and then he'd sniff the bike and say, okay. Later on that day, I was going to Cedarville, and coming back home, and I saw this woman on the other side of the fence and riding her horse, just proudly trotting along there. And I said, lady... You better watch your horse because when I go by, he's probably going to flare, going to rear. And she stuck her nose up in the air. Well, I warned you. And as I passed him, he started doing donuts. He may still be doing donuts too. <laughs> that was uh, that bike went through a lot of different designs. Uh, I I finally ended up full suspension on it. And I was told by the so-called experts at the, of our group that it would never work the way I had the front suspension design. It worked like a charm. My first race with it was at uh, uh, Major Taylor in, Spring, in Indianapolis. And I, I'd seen pictures of, of, of the video of the, of the uh, Major Taylor type of uh, velodromes. But never seen one yet. And I walked in there and I said, God, there's no way I'm going to get up there on top of those banks. Shoot, five minutes I was up on the very top and screaming down through there. And I, 
I was never a top racer. I had a lot of fun racing the things, and I had as much fun building as I did racing the things there. But you were hooked at that point. Yeah? I was hooked. Uh, hobbies seemed to run in about five years, a year increments with me. And the bicycling, uh, which I include my scootering, has stuck with me uh, from the time uh, I started back seriously in bikes in 1971 uh, till today. So then what came next? Well, I started going down the, the circuit with everybody else there. And uh, Tom said, you know, there's a mold around here for the, uh, for the uh, Moby. Maybe you could get Gary into making you one. And so I was up working, and I'd worked some with Gary. And I asked Gary, I says, Gary, uh, is there a possibility we can make one for me there? And he says, I got you one better. I've got one sitting behind my barn. Next weekend when you come up, it'll be here. Can you tell us what, a, what the Moby is? The Moby is a long wheelbase streamliner. It was built, eh, it was built to set world's records, but uh, the guy never uh, finished it in time there. There's about three or four Mobies were ever built there. Uh, Streamliners are very, very tight. Could you describe what a streamliner is for people who don't know? Streamliner, you take a Korean air, air, a Korean age uh, fighter plane, take the wheels and the uh, tail and the wings off, and you've got a recumbent. Uh, it's they're actually a little roomier than what my recumbent is. When I'm sitting inside my recumbent, my hips hit the outside edge of it. My elbows have to be padded because they're hitting things. I'm sitting here like this, just peering over the, over the steering wheel there and looking down the front end of it like that. I can't get my fingers on top of my head because I'm there's no room there. I can't turn my head much more than about that. Uh, I can see my mirrors and that's about all I need. The theory is the smaller you can make it, the faster it's going to be. And since I'm a small little guy, I could make that thing very, very tight around me. And I did a lot of modification on that bike to get it to where it would handle. In fact, uh, the one day I brought it out, uh, we met down here in Xenia, and Gary was there. And I showed it to him, and I was riding around, and he said, Richard, I've never seen that bike turn sharp corners like that. They never did. And I said, well, mine does. And it, uh, streamliners are bulky, they're heavy, uh, about 60 pounds. Some of the high-tech uh, carbon fiber ones are lighter, but uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. They're just, they take off a little slow, but the next thing you know, you're over 30 miles an hour going down through the, through the track there. Now, the streamliner, I have one that I do ride on the trail. Uh, Moby never goes on it. It's been on the trail once, which was not a really a good idea because the dang thing's nine and a half foot long, and I can't see, can't see it in an intersection. I'd have my nose halfway out there. It's bad enough. My street or my road streamliner is uh, is about nine foot, eight and a half foot long, and it. Uh, it's not easy to see out of it, 
but I can at least see it intersection. There's a lot of intersections. I got to get out and walk across them. How do you get? How do you stop on a streamliner? Well, Moby has uh, originally it had some two wheels that dropped down from the top of a big lever to pull them down and. I never liked the way it was, so I took mine, I took it, modified the frame somewhat, and put in a slide that had a, a skate wheel on the bottom of it there, an inline skate wheel. And I would lean over on that. And when I go to start, I just, just a quick jerk on the steering, and it's up on two wheels instead of three. And then I just hit the release button and the... Uh, uh, the dolly wheel comes back in the side there. And the same, it just reverse when I go to stop. I'll put the dolly wheel down and just gently move my head as much as I can to the sideways just to change the weight balance, and it'll flop over on that wheel. I've never had a wreck. I've wrecked it two or three times, but I've never had a wreck stopping or starting with that system there. The other streamliner, uh, I have my feet out on the bottom, which is uh, that typical for a road stream rider. Okay. Well, let's um, let's go back to the Moby, and can we talk about where you raced the Moby? Have the, were, were there numerous races? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I raced at Northbrook. That's up near uh, Detroit. Uh, it's uh, Major Taylor in Indianapolis, northern Indiana on a school, school area. They're about three-quarter of a mile track. Uh, around the school building, which I really enjoyed that one. Uh, and uh, I raced it at uh, Columbus, Springfield. We raced at a uh, at a at the Springfield Park or Fairgrounds Park. It was an old runway, which I had some un- for, un- ex- uh, some bad experience there, uh, thanks to a college rider who didn't know what the Sam Haley was doing. Shouldn't have been in a streamliner. Uh, of course, I've been to Battle Mountain with it, and one time, and set a personal speed record. All right, Richard, let's um, let's focus in a bit on uh, Battle Mountain. Uh, you've been there more than once, I know. Let's talk about your first trip to Battle Mountain. Well, my first trip to Battle Mountain was with with Tom. Now you got to realize Tom doesn't always prepare very well. Like the Dodge van we were driving uh, had had a flat tire or something, and uh, they had changed the oil in it, but the tire wasn't changed. And halfway to Indianapolis, a guy flagged us down because the tire was going flat. <laughs> and we're, we're pulling this huge, oversized trailer because we were headed to Chicago to pick up the, uh, to pick up the Coslinger. And we finally... Got to, got to Chicago. We were supposed to be there at 6 o'clock, and we got there at about 12.30. And they wanted us to stay and sleep. I said, no, we've got to be on the road to Battle Mountain. And we're going down there. We switch off drivers. And, and I'm going across, I don't know, it all looks the same out there to me. Uh, Iowa or someplace out in there, I, could, I couldn't even get that thing up to 50 miles an hour. And I pulled off, and Tom, I says, Tom, we got problems with this thing. And we analyzed it that the gas, the filter on the uh, on the gas line was probably plugged up. Yeah, we pulled in there, and we asked him, he says, all we need is just it fixed so we can get on our way. Well, yeah, we'll get to right to you, 
right to us turned out to be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We pulled into Salt Lake City, and our, our rider, uh, uh, the Coslinger, uh, was uh, there. He'd flown in the day before, and he was about ready to rent a car to, to make the trip on through there. So we showed up and loaded him up and his luggage and whatever, and off we go. Was this the very first Battle Mountain? Very first Battle Mountain. There was three, there was actually four bikes included or invited there, and we were one of them. But uh, I did not drive, I did not get to pedal that first year. And uh, it was quite an experience. We didn't even know if, the, if our bike was going to run worth it darn there. For one thing, he had the uh, he had the TV camera upside down and thing. It it was it was a TV camera set up in the nose of it, and he was driving with a monitor sitting in front of his yeah, face. Yeah, this is something that maybe many people aren't uh, familiar with. Why would you need a camera and a monitor in this uh, racing uh, recumbent streamliner? Why would you need that? It's aerodynamics. Aerodynamics. You drive down the road, put your hand out there, and you can feel the wind pushing you back. That's the same thing. We're trying to get 80 miles an hour. And so every little little imperfection in the surface, while uh, the guys were doing whatever they were doing, partying or whatever, I was in, the, in that daggone uh, car hauler with uh, water and paint and... and uh, and sandpaper, and I was working the body down, trying to get it smoother and smoother. Uh, it's 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 amazing what a little bit of work will do for speed there. Uh, and and you've the the bikes that are out there today are are just uh, fabulous. They're carbon fiber, or we were fiberglass, and so they're lighter, they're stronger. Uh, they have huge huge college teams they have huge budgets because you bring 20 people from europe plus a couple extra bodies plus a backup bike to start with my god <laughs> makes us little uh little behind the behind the, the garage builders look quite quite primitive so you were so when you say you were working uh, the shell and everything to to get it faster. You were talking about the Costlinger. Talking about the Costlinger, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. So the Costlinger ran. You were part of the team that yeah. uh, worked on that. How did that go? How did the Costlinger do with its rider that year? I think it was in the very very low sixties, and uh, which we we were just happy to get it up on two wheels. Uh, I was stationed in the middle, uh, middle of the course, uh, which was five miles long, to uh, to make sure that nobody got on the course there, because it was public highway that was closed down there. The Moby, I don't remember how many years it was. It was about three years, I think, before I came back out there. Mm-hmm. And Gary invited me to participate in the what they called the uh, 70, 70, 70, or seventy-five. It was to uh, represent an age of several of us who were going there. Uh, Gary didn't have anything to ride, but I had the Moby to ride there. And we got out for the first day. I was ready to go. So many people at Battle Mountain, they're in the parking lot for the first three or four days building their, finishing building their bikes. Even the big teams uh, have problems like that. 
Well, Moby was a road racer. It was set and ready to go there. I got on the thing and, and rode uh, through the speed traps in the uh, low 40s, a big, strong headwind. But uh, to me, I'd already done 50 because I averaged out the wind that was hitting us there. And I, I thought to myself, God, if I'd only tra- tra- trained, because this was easy, hitting almost 50 miles an hour in that thing here. And that evening, we had our first five-miler run there where we got to really get the speed up. And I'm going down through there, trying to figure out where I am on the course, trying to figure out what's gear. And as I entered the tracks, traps, I shifted down so I could spin some more. And that was not the best thing to do. I kind of put the brakes on me there. And anyway, it was too windy. It was illegal. And I, the next day, I did not drive. Uh, the next day, I got uh, started and made a run. And it was, it was close to 48 miles an hour, but it was uh, uh, an illegal run because the wind was too strong there. The wind has to be, I don't know what it is, but it's hard, you can hardly even feel the wind when it's uh, legal. <clears throat> the last day, I, I made a couple other runs. The last day... Uh, I, uh, I was running in the morning, and I made sure I was on that list because I knew it was going to be ra- going to be raining and high winds in the afternoon, <clears throat> and it was windy as could be. And I had the the team assembled and everything, and and we started off. And like I say, I had landing gear on this thing, so they were used to seeing me just pop it straight and just keep on going where everybody else was pushing. They're pushing off the road. They're dumping right in the right in the start of it. Uh, there's there's a lot of inexperienced college kids out there who don't get enough time in a in a streamliner to know what they're doing. So I'm going down through there, and I can't steer. I'm pulling over towards the deck, towards the side down. I says, "What is happening here?" And I'm able to glance down on my toes, and there's light coming in. Now, the Moby has doors, Bombay doors, that open up. And when I, so I've got some maneuvering on the wheel. And then I pull the cable and shut them up. Well, I pulled the cable, but the Moby is flexible. And one of the doors went inside and locked up in there. So I pulled the right side of the road and stopped and waited on my crew. And my crew never showed up. And I says, what the heck are they doing? Well, after they finally showed up, Warren Beauchamp says, oh, Richard, you want out? And I says, no, I don't want out. I said, reach up very carefully because there's aluminum so you don't cut yourself and pull that daggone door down, And which he did. And I says, okay, we're set to go because there was another rider coming in about three minutes behind me. And I'm taking off, and I'd, I'd had the run all planned out. I knew exactly what speed I wanted to go at, where the case well, I didn't even know where I was on the course. Ah, to hell with the plans. Just go. <laughs> and I hit the hit the go button as hard as I could, my legs, and started spinning. But uh, in the meantime, I also had to be very careful looking down there and closing the door very gently. Okay, that's okay. I got steering. I can go. And coming down through there and I went through the traps I went in, I entered the traps at 51 miles an hour my speed and uh, exited at 50 well didn't know that my speedometer was a mile and a half off 
So it actually turned out to be uh, 40 or 48.9. It's what it was. Uh, at at that uh, presentation that night, uh, they said they told me that uh, I had set a world's record for anybody over seventy, and I says, "Just how many people over seventy are driving streamliners?" <laughs> Nonetheless, that still is a remarkable achievement. So, uh, yeah, that that's amazing. So, was that your last Battle Mountain experience? Yeah, yeah, that was the last one. I had wanted to go out. Again, but that's when I started getting into cancer cancer problems and uh, my hepatitis C treatments, which really took me down for about six years. Right. And when you say took you down, it doesn't mean you stopped riding completely. No, no, I didn't stop riding completely. I was, I would go out and ride short distances and ride with a bunch, and and thankfully the. Uh, uh, the guys that we ride with are not snobs. If somebody's having problems, they drop back with them and help. And that's what happened with me a couple of times. They dropped back with me and accompanied me on into town there. Uh, like I said earlier, it's uh, disappointing because I had passed that time where my strength came back this spring. And I was doing pretty doggone good. And then this hit. Uh, with my nice little tubes here running there and, and after I'd ripped my esophagus uh, I have a very easy I choke very easy my whole family I lost my mother during, due to a choke I've got a cousin who's had the same problems that I have there and it also boils down to uh, male stubbornness stupidity you know oh yeah I can fix this I don't need to go to the doctor well the next time I get choked which I hope is never I'm going to go to the emergency room right then and say, clear me out. But, <laughs> of course, <laughs> with a uh, liquid diet and, uh, and uh, baby food, I don't think I'll get choked for a while. Tell me about your casual recreational riding. So we've talked about your racing. What about uh, casual riding? What do you ride? Where do you ride? Well, I have about, right now, I have about four different bikes that I rotate through them. Two of them are uprights. One of them was built in Chicago for playing uh, bicycle polo, of all things. The other one is a folding uh, Chinese single-speed coaster brake that I bought because I intend to go camping, and it fits it fits behind my seat and on my van. Uh, also, this year I haven't had it. I well, I did have it out once. The uh, my uh, uh, velomobile. And I, velomobiles are a lot of fun, but they are not very social. And I'm I'm kind of a social social person there, and I like to chat with them riding there. Tell us about the velomobile, the non-social velomobile. What do you have? I have a Go One. It's it's actually belongs to Gary Hill. <laughs> I don't know if he knows where it is. <laughs> well, he does now. And oh, what yeah. else? Yeah, I, I have I have two different trikes. I've got an I've got a very very old one, that's oh um, nine no, it's it's a twenty, and I bought it for my wife uh, to gain her strength back. She had a severe heart condition and unfortunately didn't make it, but she rode the rode the uh, whiz wheel quite a bit. Uh, I rode the whiz wheel at. Uh, at Michigan 24-hour event, 
and did 331 miles in 24 hours on it. Now, it was a little modified because I raised the cranks up higher by about three inches instead of being down low there. So I could scoot down in the seat and get my feet up there and really push hard there. The other one is a Catrike 700C. I've had to do some work on it uh, to get my head in the right position so I can see. I, When I was 19, I had my face crushed in, and that broke my orbital floors, broke my, I just broke everything loose, crammed it in there. I was what, a, what happened? I was a passenger, and we were on a narrow road just about into Dayton. It's only, the only place a car could hide was where we met this fella who was in a hurry to get back to work and he ended up on our side of the road and our left uh, left front fenders hit and I spun and went down and hit my dash hit the dash shoved it in and and fell down to the bottom there and uh, days before seatbelt sizing days before seatbelt sizing yep yep very definitely there Richard you mentioned uh, earlier uh, about your speed walking and how you of all the sports that didn't appeal to you and didn't work for you uh, in high school uh, you were introduced to speed walking then and it came back later to be a bigger part of your life can you talk about yes. that uh, there was a gentleman called Claire Duckham, uh, the Dayton Cycling Club founder, and he said, Richard, you should come out with Jack Blackburn and I from Springfield um, and try some race walking. I think you'd do good at it there, and which I did. Uh, and I, I, was started, I started race walking because I wanted to run a marathon. And how old were you then? 40, 40. And I ended up using the marathons as training for the race walking because Jack was the second person in Ohio to walk 100 miles in less than 24 hours. And I asked Jack, says, what's it like? And he couldn't explain it to me, uh, which was a trap that I'd set for myself because any time I would ask somebody what's it like, I had to go out and find out. And so I trained for 11 months uh, every, I would come in home uh, after work on Friday night and grab a little bit of food, and I'd go out and walk till six o'clock the next morning. There, just ridiculous things there. The hours I spent walking, but I was single and I didn't have anybody to, to uh, bitch at me, so I did what I wanted to there. But I I enjoyed I enjoyed race walking, and it it really. It really met my needs. It really uh, something that I felt good about there, and which came into my ultra distance abilities when it come, comes to bike too. And I, as a vegetarian, was uh, I was quite different from the rest of them too there. But uh, so the mental aspects of race walking translate very well into ultra racing on bikes. Then yes, it does. You see a guy ahead of you, and you want to speed up a little bit to uh, to tell him something. Uh, you watch the guy across the track coming, and you you gauge yourself by where he is, and you you play mental games. I would uh, do mathematics in my head just to keep my head head in the game there. Uh, a lot of the, yeah, same things on the, on the bike racing and all the distance stuff there. Uh, I was never much of a sprinter, but I had endurance, and that's what 
what's paid off for me. We've discussed the fact that you have designed and built some of and altered some of these bikes. Tell us about the process that you go through. Have you, first of all, have you designed a bike from scratch at all? Uh, yeah, I would say so. My earlier one, sir, the full suspension bike was it's a uh, was was designed from scratch. Even though I I used used parts and put it together. Tell me about what do you think about when you're designing a, a new bike? Like, do you and how that works? Do you write? Do you design it on paper? Do you use a computer? How is it all in your head? How does that work? It's, it's in my head mainly. I have a I have a steel I beam in in the garage there that I I set up for my balance and or for getting things square and then build from there. Uh, a lot of it's stock parts, some of it's custom pieces that I design and build. Where you really get in the custom stuff is when you're working with the carbon fiber. Uh, and uh, the new, the newer bikes don't even have frames. They're mo- they're monocoque design. Where mine were all framed bikes. There is that something you enjoy doing, though. I enjoy that very much. I do really do. Uh, I it takes a lot of time. You have to balance the problem with a little guy like myself and uh, other little guys. You have to balance training. And building. If you've got a big team, you can have specialists who are strictly the power plants. You specialists who strictly build the things there. Uh, when you're a little guy uh, and you're paying for everything yourself, you can't do that. You can't hire somebody to come in and train with me and build the visas there. So that's the disadvantage. I guess I'm thinking that the advantage would be you get the satisfaction of knowing that you did it all yourself, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was interesting when I brought Moby out to uh, Battle Mountain. There was a lot of people who who know who knew of Moby and had seen it before uh, in its earlier racing days, and I I felt good about that that I had restored it, and I didn't feel good about what's happened to it. It's it went through a very bad crash thanks to a very unskilled rider who tried to make a right angle turn <laughs> when I swept into. Into, off the uh, runway into a very narrow road and there he is sideways I drill him in the side which knocks me down he uh, knocks him straight though I go on my side I'm sliding through dog poop I hit a trash can and then I hit a telephone pole and it took the first three foot of my nose off it just it just sheared that thing <laughs> oh boy but we got back in, and they, they got me in uh, back the pits, and we started with the duct tape, which is, a, which is the home builder's friend, and duct taped the front end of it back together. And off I went for the rest of it. Uh, I did do a little fist shaking. <laughs> All right, Richard, we've talked about some of your health challenges, including your current health challenge. Uh, It reminds me of one of the things I know best about you, and that is your yearly adventure of riding the number of years of age that you are, that you have done for many years. Tell me when you started that, and, uh, and where are you with it now? I started when I was 60 years old. That was my first one. Uh, I went 60 miles on the rollerblades, came back and got on the bike and went 60 miles on the bike. And 
the next year I did the same thing. But the next year I'd gotten into recumbents and I had a bikey and I was going through there. So I can't tell you all the combinations. I've done it on a three-speed. Uh, I think the, one the the hardest one I ever did on was my kick scooter, which is a, a bicycle without cranks. And I enjoy scooters. That's my first transportation with scooters there. And I started in uh, near uh, South Charleston, and I went to Cincinnati, and then my driver picked me up there. And August 24th, it gets hot. In fact, the 25 years I've done this, I've never been rained on. I have had flat tires, flat tires in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, sitting on the, sitting on the trail trying to find where the piece of glass is to get it out of the tire. Mainly, it's been done by myself. Uh, I've had uh, my one of my lady friends uh, used to drive me around there. Uh, three or four years ago, Tom Ollinger joined me, and for two years there, uh, the last half, and he, he, I was in uh, in one of my streamliners that's uh, uh, easy to get in and easy to get out. And Tom thought I was he was going to have to uh, push me to get me through the time there. And he says I was struggling to keep up with you. And he was on a conventional upright bike there. Uh, Unfortunately, it's going to stop this year. There's no way that I can get my condition back up. Actually, the last few years, I've been kind of looking for an excuse, to, a way to stop. Uh, it takes about three months to recover from that, uh, even though I don't know why. I used to ride 100 milers back to back. It could have something to do with the fact I'm 85 years old. Perhaps. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I mean... The whole notion, as you get older and less able to train and, and, and carry out the miles, yeah. the miles just relentlessly continue to go up, yeah. don't they? Yeah. And a lot of times, uh, the last several years, I was I was so, well, I think when I was over 80, that I just started adding the next 20 miles on to get another century. There was times that I would, when I was younger, that I would go out and ride two or three centuries a week. But... Those times have passed. That was then. This is now, yes. Richard. Uh, the perverse birthday challenge, I think, is probably the best way to look at that. Of course, I may be doing it again, but doing it in the metrics. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go there because I, I think I want to finish up with that. So what are your plans now? You're trying to overcome the latest health challenge, and I know you still want to get back out there. What do you think you might be capable of, and how, you, how long do you think it might take? I would say it's probably going to take me most of a year to get my strength back there. Um, I have my little camper, and I intend to go south to visit my daughter and uh, ride some of the trails down there, then maybe swing west some, then come back up here when the snow is gone there and then ride some more, be a, be a nomad. Well, my original plans years ago was to retire, get a camper, and we'd tour well my first wife messed that up pretty good <laughs> so we so i just started building this little camper three years ago what else happened three years ago the hmm. pandemic uh that's that kept me sane i had something to do a work on it there because during the pandemic i was riding all the time but i was not riding near anybody or with anybody there i was by myself and that gets to be lonely at times there. 
What advice do you have for the young ones out there, you know, those 60-year-olds like you were 25 years ago, uh, that may be interested in doing some of the things that you did? What what advice do you have for them today? I've... uh my role model was Claire Duckham. Uh, the last time I rode with him, he was 100 years old. Uh, we all looked up to Claire and says, boy, if we could only do what you do at that age, wow. Well, I have that very same thing. Guys say, damn, if I could do what you do at, at your age there, I'd be in. I says, start now. Don't wait till you're 60. That does not work. Says you have to start where you're at. Says you'll make it if you, if you work at it over, over the long haul. And that's that's been my theory in life for for a long time is uh, is accept the challenge and do what you can do and don't complain because things don't go right just just keep on going here. All right, great advice. I think that's uh, that is the the best advice from the legend that is Richard Myers. Richard, thank you so much for spending time with us and uh, lending your great history history and background uh, and sharing it with the laid-back back report. Thanks, Richard. Well, it was very much of a pleasure in my part. Thank you for coming out. My friend, Richard Myers. Uh, he's an amazing fella, as you just saw. Uh, thanks, Richard, for extending the hospitality at your home to uh, me and the crew to uh, to do that report. We appreciate it. And I just, I guess, add one more thing. So, the uh, Battle Mountain information, the Battle Mountain history that Richard uh, was talking about uh, is something that uh, is of interest to me. Most of you know that we have covered Battle Mountain uh, relatively extensively over the years. And one of my bucket list uh, items was to actually go there to cover Battle Mountain. And uh, Trey, pop up here for a second, if you wouldn't mind. Make the announcement now. Trey and I are actually heading to Battle Mountain uh, in September to uh, to cover it. And we're very excited about that. Uh, we're going to uh, try to do some uh, interviews with uh, participants, uh, give you guys a good look at uh, what goes on there. And uh, to be honest, uh, get to view with our own eyes what it's, what it feels like to see a bicycle ride by at uh, 70, 80, maybe 90 miles an hour. Trey, uh, what are you thinking about uh, as far I'm, as that trip goes? I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a blast. Yeah, we're going to get uh, hopefully get that uh, that drone up in the air and see if we can't get some uh, unusual laid-back bike report types of coverage uh, that, uh, that we've been known for in the past. And... Uh, we, we're very excited about that, as I just said. So, all right, uh, Trey, get right. get pack, get packing. All right. So, guys, time to move along here. We are next going to uh, bring up uh, our pal, uh, uh, Joseph Janning. Uh, Joseph, uh, are you there? There we go. How are you? Well, I'm fine, Gary. Yeah. Well, nice looking shirt there. Why don't you tell us about yes. that shirt and what, uh, what this tour was all about? Uh, well, this is the official tour shirt of the Ancora Ungiro tour, which means another loop you know, in Italian. And uh, the visual has been created by C. Michael Lewis. Actually, he's the guy who does uh, those wonderful uh, visuals for the Battle Mountain um, races. I think he still does it every year. Um, very creative. And, and he's kind enough to, uh, uh, to donate these, um, these visuals to the tours that I do every once in a while. Now... 
What is it a Velomobile tour? It's to prove Richard Meyer's wrong to say that Velomobile riders, that's sort of an anti-social uh, affair. If you want to be social, you have to do uh, a tour like the ones that we do every few years, which is essentially a three-week vacation. It's a camping trip. It's all planned out. Uh, it's a bunch of riders usually going between 3,000 and 3,500 uh, kilometers together, um, um, usually as far as we can get. And this time we took it a little bit easier. Uh, we uh, did 19 riding days in those 21 days, uh, 900 kilometers on average per week. Uh, we've crossed the Alps twice and we've seen uh, a lot of beautiful uh, Italy uh, with, of course, uh, plenty of mountains there, uh, plenty of hill riding. Um, and uh, one of my, my uh, pals there, um, uh, Christian, uh, put a little video together out of the, the tons of footage that he uh, um, recorded on this tour. Uh, and Trey has uh, that video. And let's take a look at it now and then talk a little bit more about the tour. Trey.
Yeah, that's what it's uh, like uh, to go to a tour like this, Gary. It's absolutely spectacular, yep. beautiful video. You know, I was thinking um, about what Richard had said. You know, the the operative problem here is really not Velomobiles. The operative problem seems to me is a differential in speed. So clearly you have shown many times over, uh, Joseph, that uh, Velomobiles can be very uh, social. Uh, you can take trips, oh, yeah. you can... But, but you're traveling at, at, at similar speeds, but the problem comes in when you're in a velomobile riding right. with just a regular trike, perhaps, or, yeah. or this goes for e-assist as well, right? As someone with e-assist uh, with and riding with someone uh, without an e-assist is going to be a, a problem as well. Yes, that's right. You know, and, and while we're not riding all together um, all the time, you've seen in this video, uh, you see a couple of video, a couple of velomobiles together, but not the entire group. Because you know that's that's just too much of a hassle, and it slows you down when you have to wait for everyone at every uh, street corner or red light. Uh, but there's so much time that you spend together. You know, we we ride between four hours and eight hours at the most during the day, uh, which means that uh, you have at least three times uh, as much time to to chat, to interact, to. Uh, uh, have fun together, to go out uh, uh, for dinner together, and um, you know. Uh, so it is. It is actually a wonderful opportunity uh, to spend three weeks with people to get to know each other very well and to to actually uh, uh, be very social over time and do something that is as spectacular as this, uh, covering almost three thousand kilometers. Oh, that time to seeing beautiful landscapes, or crossing the Alps twice. You know, that's that's quite something. Probably most people wouldn't really do it if if they were on their own. But when you're in a group like this and you've got a schedule, uh, then you do it. Then you you meet your target, you meet your destination every single day. I, I believe you told me once that you uh, do this about every two years. Is that is that right? Every three. Every three, every three years, years. my wife, know. my wife allows uh, a tour every three years. Otherwise, she would get divorced. But you know, uh, COVID uh, slowed us down. Originally, this tour was supposed to happen in 2020, uh, couldn't and couldn't happen in 2021. But this year, it happened. So technically, I'm entitled to another one next year, and I'm in no negotiations with her now how did, how did uh, about what next year. How did you know where my next question was going? Have you given any thought to what that might be that that next tour? Yes, well, I have I have a couple of uh, tour plans uh, in my mind. One thing that I've been playing with for a number of years uh, would be a tour around Germany because uh, we have uh, such a, a good uh, mass of velomobile riders now that could be great fun to to do a tour around the country, uh, uh, select the most beautiful velomobile routes, and have people give people a chance to just pop in and and uh, ride with us for for a day or two or three. Um, if they can't make it for the entire period. The other one more, I think, more more demanding uh, schedule would be uh, to uh, tour around the North Sea. We've done the Baltic Sea, but the North Sea is quite something because you would have to go uh, through Denmark and uh, Norway and then take a ferry over to the uh, uh, Hebrides or to, you know, to, to the uh, islands north of Scotland and then ride down uh, all through Scotland and England, uh, cross over to France and ride back through Belgium and the Netherlands would be a great uh, thing. Maybe not quite as as uh, uh, pleasant weather-wise as uh, the tour in Italy was, uh, but certainly uh, uh, equally interesting. 
Super. Well, uh, folks, uh, Velenots out there, I suggest you start getting your votes in. Uh, Joseph, you need to put a poll, poll up yep. right now and right. figure out where these people want to go. And then I know you're going to give them a great tour whenever that does come up. So thank you so much for sharing this with us. As always, it's great to have you on, Joseph. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and a special thanks to my my buddy, uh, Christian, for, for putting this together. I, you know, I know how hard it is. I've done videos on, on other occasions, but this time... I said, no, no uh, filming. I just want to enjoy the ride. And he did it and he put it together. Um, uh, and then I think that was, that was, that was very interesting to see. And it gave you a little bit of an impression of how, how such a tour looks like. Yeah. And we even got to see you ride by in that uh, tatty yep. laid back bike report hat that I am replacing. You bet. Uh, it's in the mail, my friend. Thank you very much. All right. See you, Joseph. All right, folks. Uh, let's move along now to the sports report. Uh, we're going to kick it off here with the uh, interview that Denny did with uh, James Coxon, the new one-hour trike record holder. Uh, let's have a look at that, Trey. Hey, today we have James Coxon, who set a new world recumbent racing association, WRRA, one hour trike record of 31.373 miles per hour in Wales on June 25th. Nice to have you on the show, James. So yeah, tell no, me thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell me a bit about yourself and your racing history. Uh, so I started off. Well, my cycling journey started um, doing triathlon, really. So I used to do triathlon. And then um, a few years ago now, I was diagnosed with a, uh, a muscle-wasting condition in my left arm, oh. um, which led to um, – well, my swimming, my swimming was never very good, um, but it got, it got dramatically worse when I couldn't use my left arm. Um, uh, so I had to kind of stop doing triathlon. So I – I then switched to doing time trials because the, the time trial scene in the UK is is really big and it's really competitive. So I started doing time trials, but then as the condition progressed, I I struggled to balance on a on a time trial bike. Um, just all the weight on my um, shoulder was too much. So um, I then um, kind of took the jump, and it, and it felt like a big jump of going into a recumbent trike and. Um, Yes, that's how my racing journey started, really. I started um, doing some competitions with the BHPC club in the UK, so which is quite big, and um, that's how it started. How do you find uh, the recumbent, uh, as opposed to an upright bike, uh, you know, what's, what, what, do you, what do you feel about it? Uh, so to start with, um, I couldn't believe how much my power dropped. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I um, when I first started riding a cumber. I think it it must have dropped by about twenty twenty percent, twenty five percent. And I thought, oh my god, you know what have I, you know what have I done? Uh, but it, to be honest, it came the power came back very quickly. Um, so you know that I was quite you know I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, in terms of the sensation when you're riding it. Yeah, obviously, you know, going downhill is, you know, fantastic. It's like being on a go-kart. Um, on the, you know, on the flat, it's, um, you know, it's good. It's probably not as quick as a time trial bike on the flat. Um, and obviously uphill, yeah, it's a little bit slow. But to be honest, you know, most of the time on the uphills, I'm just as quick as the um, the normal bikes. So, yeah, I think it just takes a bit of time to get used to um, yes. to riding in that position, basically. Now, what was the record you broke, and uh, what made you want to attempt that particular record? 
so the the record was set at forty nine point five, maybe just over forty nine point five kilometers. Um, the reason the reason I wanted to attempt it uh, was a couple of things. Um, first of all, I'm no good at sprinting. <laughs> So um, um, my my best efforts are, are normally, you know, in time trials or whatever, or triathlons were normally over an hour. So it was like the perfect, um, you know, time for me, time length. Uh, the second thing was that I, because of this condition, that I'm not sure if it will spread to other parts of my body. So um, I wanted to make the most of, um, you know, the any kind of athletic gift, slight gift, minor gift, that I may have. So I wanted to, um, you know, make the most of it and um, kind of attempt it, you know, sooner rather than later, basically. Okay. Uh, how did you prepare for it? Uh, what What was your training like? Uh, so in terms of, of training, uh, in the winter, it was, it was, to be honest, I didn't do an awful lot in the winter. I did some fairly long sessions. I didn't do many intervals. I did some strength work um, mainly because I was when I first started riding recumbent, I was getting little niggles because um, the muscles hadn't been used before. You know, I was getting niggles at the back of my knees, and um, so I just and you know the core strength. The core strength when you're riding an upright bike is all in your all in your back, but when you're lying down, you know, laid right back on a recumbent, it's it's more on your um, your abdominals. So we did you know did some core strength there. And then as the kind of as we progressed into the spring, we started doing some more um, yeah, longer intervals. Um, and it was mainly kind of sub-threshold intervals. So three sets of 20 minutes at just below threshold levels. And then it'd be two sets at 30 minutes. And then, you know, kind of two sets at one hour. Um, so kind of building up for that. So when it actually came along to doing the hour record, it wasn't such a big surprise for my, um, for my body or my head. Yeah, I should ask you at the same time, uh, how long have you been riding on a recumbent? Uh, so probably about two two years. Okay. Probably about two years, yeah. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit longer. Okay. So, um, yeah, not all, not all that long, to be honest. Not all that long compared well, to some. Tell us about the trike that you were riding. So, yeah, so I... I, I realized pretty early on, I'm lucky here that I've got a velodrome just down the road, the uh-huh. Garrett Thomas um, velodrome in Newport in Wales. So um, I, I started riding my normal trike, which is a, a VTX, on the on the velodrome there as part of their disability sessions. Um, we're really good, really good coaching staff there and really, really well supported. So I was very grateful that for that. But very quickly, I realized that I wasn't going to get to record pace on that trike um even at above threshold levels for me i was still only kind of doing about 45 46 kilometers an hour and obviously i wanted to aim for kind of 50 plus so um i then you know i i looked at what the existing world record holder what trike he used and that was um a phantom mini t trike by tim corbett in australia okay so um I contacted Tim, uh, I sent him a message out of the blue and saying, um, you know, I saw you design this trike. Do you fancy building me one? And, you know, lucky enough, he was in a receptive mood. He's a great guy. And um, 
I feel like I've talked to him more than my wife in the last um, six months <laughs> <laughs> by, um, by messenger. So, uh, yeah, so he, he made me up, um, well, he used to say mold basically as a, as a use for Carl's trike. Um, the existing world record holder. So he, he used to say mold for that. He did some additional additional um, improvements. Um, and um, yeah, and then that, that arrived about a month before the record attempt. So it was all a bit, it was all a bit nerve wracking actually, because bet, the, the um, you know, we, I'd ordered this trike and I'd pay for it, but I was never actually sure if it was going to work. You know, if it, if it was going to make that bigger difference, because it's a it's a huge difference. Five kilometers an hour is a huge difference. So um, I um, yeah. So but when it arrived, you know, I tried it on the velodrome and thank goodness, you know, it, it worked. So um, and it was quick, you know, which was, um, you know, it was amazing. Amazing. Now, who are the people that helped you to get around there? Who would you like to uh, uh, tell us about? Uh, well, first of all, my coach, Yusuf from Hansling Coaching. He's um he's based in Germany, um but yeah he he's fantastic in terms of working out a training program for me, and um all the guys at the velodrome the Garrett Thomas velodrome in Newport um and especially my the the track coach there Brian he was the one who did the pacing for me on the day so yeah I was very grateful for them um, they're fantastic. James, tell us about the race itself or the event. You know, how did it all go? Uh, give us a narrative of it, if you would. Um, yeah, so on, on the the day, obviously, it was a big build-up. It didn't take place till the evening. So I had all um, I had all day to worry about it, basically, and um, stress about it and imagine how much pain I was going to be in. Um, but when it came down to it... Um, I started off, and I was very, I was very careful not to go too hard at the start. I, I'd done some efforts before on the track in the weeks leading up to it, um, just twenty-minute runs and half-an-hour runs, and I'd always started too quick. And you know, as you know, you know, once you start too quick, you just can't recover. Yeah. Um, so the first kind of few minutes was just a question of just looking at, you know, making sure I wasn't getting carried away with all the adrenaline and um, what have you. So. And then I knew after about I knew after about fifteen minutes actually that things were looking good. Um, I could see, you know, they allow you to use a, a Garmin, you know, a cycle computer, so I could see how fast I was going, and I could see my heart rate, and um, I knew I was um, I knew I was good. You know, I knew if I had to, I could actually put more more power down, um, and I was on record. You know, I was on on pace, so. Um, and then kind of, so I, it got to about, you know, 15, 20 minutes was the high point. And then after um, after half an hour, I started getting cramps in my hamstrings. So um, it very quickly went from, a, you know, a state of, you know, I'm fine to, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to implode here in a very embarrassing way. Um, but lucky enough, they kind of, those kind of cramps subsided. And um, for the last... Um, 10 minutes it felt you know it felt good you know it felt good I knew I could do it and you know I, I knew I had more in the tank so um yeah I think in terms of pacing I think I it was fairly measured all my lap times were very you know consistent throughout the effort so um yeah I'm just very glad I practiced before so I knew what sensations I was going to feel uh do you know what your average watts were during that whole 
Um, it, they were in the mid three hundreds. Yeah, so in the wow. mid three hundreds. Wow, for so, now. Um, yeah, but they they're actually they're lower than. It was actually lower than I thought that than I I can do. I can do normally. They, so the big the big thing for me was managing my heart rate because mm-hmm. riding on a velo riding on a velodrome is completely different to riding on a, 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 a outside on the road or a, right. even on an outside track. Just the yeah. the the the, the G forces because you you're lapping every seventeen and a half seconds. Right. You know the G forces going around the bends and the heat build up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just very careful. I, you know, I knew what heart rate I could s- sustain, and I was very careful to stay around that heart rate until it got to the last um, ten minutes or so. Because it's so easy when you're a pump full of adrenaline to just not look, and then when you look down, you think, "Oh my god, my heart rate's through the roof, and I'm going to explode in a minute." So, um, do you mind sharing what that heart rate is? Because I, I know this is going to end up as a question. There's people that yeah. track that religiously you know yeah i mean i mean heart rates um it's so variable from individual to yeah. individual i mean my the highest mine goes is about 186 mm-hmm. um and then for so i was i was keeping it um around 175 so for mm-hmm. the first 10 minutes it was just you know trying to keep it below 165 and then i was keeping it around you know 175 176 and then the last 10 minutes i i was ramping up till it peaked at you know, one eight six. About how old are you, James? I'm forty seven. Yeah, I, I look I look older than I am. No, you look younger than that. Actually, <laughs> I I was gonna say hi. It's the hair. Yeah, there you, it's there. Yeah, it's there. Now you've crossed the finish line. You've done your full hour. And how was it? How did how did it? What was your impression of it? You know, how did you feel about it? Um. Well, it's bit, it's. You know, most people say the same thing, really. It's a sense of relief. You know, I'd, um, I've been training, really. You know, I, I trained for a, for a year for it. And wow. I've spent a lot of money, you know, on the trike and put up, put up a lot of, up with a lot of grief for my wife for spending that money on the trike. And, <laughs> you know, it's all building for, you know, it's all building for just one hour, yeah. you know. So, you know, for the last, the last few minutes, I was thinking, please, nothing break. <laughs> You know, oh, don't, don't let me have a flat tire. Don't let the chain break. You know, but um, so when the when the actual kind of I crossed, you know, they blew the whistle and the arrow finished. It was, um, you know, a sense of um, a sense of relief, really, and um, looking forward to having a beer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, do you plan on any more more records? Are you looking at doing any more uh, in the future? Uh, possibly. I, I I looked at the. Um, I looked at the hundred mile record. Um, I think that would probably suit me quite well, you know, in terms of physiology. Um, so yeah, possibly, you know, possibly that. Um, and yeah, just enjoy it really. You, you know, just enjoy the um, enjoy, enjoy the cycling and keeping fit and you know making the most of life really. Now, is the hundred mile record uh, on a velo or a velodrome, or is it open road? Oh no! I, uh, an hour on a velodrome is enough. <laughs> I mean, that was two hundred laps in an hour. You know, I yeah, wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. fancy doing any more. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So it'll probably be. It'll probably be, if I do if I do attempt it, it'll probably be either on a outdoor track. They've got one near me, which is about five hundred meters long. Oh, so um, it won't be quite. It, yeah, it won't be quite quite as repetitive, and um, or maybe you know, looking at a 
you know, a test a car test track or something like that. I've been talking to Mike Mowat. Uh, I don't know if you know Mike, uh, James. He's yeah. one of the commissioners. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Anyways, uh, I was talking to him yesterday. He was very interested in this interview, and he had a couple of questions that are right along these lines. So, yeah, he asked about uh, some uh, would you do these kinds of things if we modify the WRRA rules to allow fairings around the front two wheels, would you try for that record? Yeah, yeah, I reckon. Um, yeah, I'd certainly think about it. I mean, do, like aerod- aerodynamics, you know, is 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 key. You know, it, it is the king. Um, you could put out all the watts you wanted, but you're never going to get there on a, um, you know, on a standard, you know, trike. You've got to, if you, you know, any improvement you can make in terms of aero is, you know, mm-hmm. it's definitely worth it. And it'd be exciting. Yeah, it would be exciting. Good, good. And then the very last uh, thing he asked, he he said that you uh, just missed the 4,000 meter record by a second. And so he was wondering if you would be if you would be up for trying that one. Well, to be honest, it wouldn't have bothered me until he told me about it. <laughs> so, I, I believe that was entirely his intention. On, uh, <laughs> The uh, World Championships is coming up in France this month. Are you are you headed there? Yeah, I think we're um, we're heading down there midweek next week, ah. and uh, I think it starts on Friday with some a hill climb, um, okay. and then it's uh, and then it's got some sprint races on the Saturday, and then it's got a, a hundred kilometer um, crit race on the on the Sunday. It's going to be good. I mean, it's going to be hot. Oh, yeah. It's forecast thirty-eight degrees or something. So okay, you know, yeah, that's, uh, we're not we're, we're not used to that temperature in Wales. To be no, honest. you bet you're not. <laughs> yeah, anything we've missed? Anything you'd like to mention? No, I think um, you know it's really grateful. I just you know I'm just really grateful for the um, you know recumbent community. They you know they're a great bunch of, of guys and girls, and you know it's great it, it's great to have this race you know an, an outlet for my competitive spirit and. You know, I know in the UK events we have a we have a good laugh and we support each other and you know it'd be just be, it would be great to see you know a lot more trikes racing and um, yeah, you know it'd be will. great for people to experience it and you know experiencing going around those bends and the you know it is like Top Gun jet fighter stuff. You know what I mean? Very good. Uh, you know, you've been a delight. I've just had so much fun with this interview and and uh, I, I hope. We'll get to to see you again here soon. Yeah, thanks uh, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, James is a real uh, enthusiastic, pleasant fella, and we we did enjoy chatting with him, Danny. Let me, uh, before we uh, say anything else, I wanted to thank Steve Miller for uh, allowing us to use that video that uh, I overlaid in that video of uh, James's race and uh, Jonathan Woolrich who actually uh, uh, gave me a heads up about James in the first place and uh, also allowed us to use some of his pictures from the event. So thanks to Steve and Jonathan for that. Uh, Denny, yeah, that was, uh, that was an amazing interview with, with him. We look uh, hopefully forward to seeing more of his stuff. Uh, Anything you wanted to add to that? 
No, there was a question about um, <clears throat> uh, what the weight of the trike was, and yeah. I didn't ask it, but uh, I think we probably can find out uh, somewhere down the line. Yeah, that's Bill uh, McBride. And Bill, yeah. yeah, we'll see if we can find that out for you uh, and uh, and get back to you on that yeah. one. I've Unfortunately, got your email. James couldn't be with us today, but he's racing again in, in uh, France. Yeah, so. he's he said he was packing up and getting ready to head out yeah. to, to France yeah. for, for the next one. So that's okay. great. All right, Denny, let's uh, jump into uh, – Larry's uh, senior games update, and then we'll come back okay, and finish good. up if that's okay. okay. So Trey, let's have a look at Trey uh, at uh, Larry's uh, senior games update. Thank you, Gary. We were contacted by Jane Knight, a previous senior games correspondent and participant, encouraging riders to consider competing in the Oklahoma senior games. So I'm taking this opportunity to expand on that and point out some other state games as well. All of these competitions are open and allow participants by out-of-state athletes. So first up is Oklahoma, which will be October 8th, and they're moving it to a different location in Fort Sill, which is by Lawton, Oklahoma. What's unique about Oklahoma is they're opening it up to ages 40 and above, whereas most other states you have to be 50. Another thing about Oklahoma is the 22K or the 44K road races are both open to recumbent riders, but you have to choose one or the other. You can't do both. They both start at the same time. Uh, we'll go to the next state now is Nevada. And this is going to take place 10 miles north of Las Vegas on a little service road there, which is great for a ride because there's not a lot of traffic. So October 1st is the 10K and the 20K. The 10K is the time trial, 20K is the road race. The following day is a 5K time trial and a 40K road race. And both are, all four of those races are open to recumbent riders. Uh, Utah takes place in St. George as part of the Huntsman World Senior Games. Uh, recumbents may only participate in the hill climb and or the time trial. The hill climb is a 5K uphill, which is uh, in Snow Mountain Canyon on Tuesday, August 4th. And the time trial is a 20K distance on Friday, October 7th. Wyoming, is going to be sometime between August 3rd and 6th. They haven't uh, come out with a detailed schedule yet, but in prior years, the recumbents have been allowed in the 5K and 10K time trials and the 20K and 40K road races. Nebraska is typically August, the first weekend of August. This year it'll be August 6th and 7th. Recumbents are uh, encouraged to do all four distances. The 5K and the 40K will be on Saturday. The 10K and the 20K will be on Sunday. The 5K and the 10K are time trials, and the 40K and the 20K are road races. This all leads up to the 2023 National Senior Games, which will take place July of 2023 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
There's not a lot of details out yet other than just the dates and the locations. In prior years, the 5K and the 10K time trials have been open to recumbent riders, but no senior state games were required to qualify. The road races probably will not be available for recumbent riders. There are other senior state games in your area that we might not have mentioned. If you're interested, please Google for your state senior games. Now, back to you, Denny. All right. Yeah, Denny uh, and Larry, thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, and as always, we encourage you, if you have any inkling whatsoever, to compete, no matter your age, find a senior game near you and uh, and, and sign up and uh, represent. Right, Larry? I'd just like to add, you know, this is just a small sampling. There's other senior state games. If you know any of any other ones, go ahead and uh, submit a viewer submission so we can all learn about other state games. That's good. And, Denny, uh, I just wanted to finish up asking you, uh, I think you've got something lined up hopefully next month or coming up. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a couple more records, or at least one more record, and, and probably another we might cover. But Brian Toff uh, was mentioned by Hansa. And uh, he uh, did a, uh, uh, a perimeter of Australia uh, record uh, of uh, 46 days, I think. And uh, that's uh, over 15,000 kilometers. So that's uh, an official record that uh, he has set. And we hope to have him on. And uh, also, uh, I would like to mention that Lawrence Bouchard, or Laurent Bouchard, uh, completed the Trans Am race in 26 days, two hours and one minute uh, on a performer recumbent. So uh, I'm not sure, but I think that's the first two wheel recumbent that has completed the Trans Am. Yeah, it's certainly um, unfair, right? So <laughs> it's certainly unfair, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and he did a, an amazing race. He placed 11th overall. Uh, there were 50 some starters, 55, I think. And it looks like there's going to be about uh, 30, 25 to 30 survivors. So he did very, very well. That race is finishing up pretty much. There is one outlier, you know, who's just, I think he's into Kansas now. But uh, yeah. uh, there's uh, the bulk of them here are finishing or will be finished in the next couple All of right. days. Great. And Denny uh, would dearly uh, like to uh, get interviews with the two fellas he just with mentioned. Both. So, yeah. uh, guys, if you uh, if you are listening or if you know these uh, these um, racers, please uh, get a hold of us. You know, you can get a hold of me at uh, uh, laidbackbikereport at gmail.com. Just send us an email and I'll get that along to Denny and uh, yeah. hopefully we'll be able to. Uh, get a nice interview with them and bring them on the laid back. Bike we'll be course. very happy to set them up and talk to them. Uh, very great accomplishments in both, both uh, fields there. Absolutely. All right, uh, Larry, Denny, thank you so much. Let's uh, let's move along here. Uh, viewer submissions. I just mentioned it laid back back report at gmail.com. If you want to communicate with us in any way, or if you have something uh, you'd like to see on the show, some pictures, an event, uh, your bike, uh, you build, uh, you built uh, any of those things, uh, contact us uh, via email there. And now on to the wonderful sponsors that make the Laidback Bike Report uh, possible every month, starting with TerraCycle. 
From fairings to headrests, whatever accessory you need, Pat and crew have you covered. And trailside trikes. If you find yourself in Florida near the Withlacoochee Trail or in Knoxville, Tennessee, check out Andrew's shop and amazing crew. And Terra Trike and Green Speed Trikes. Your vision, whatever it is, Terra Trike has a trike to take you there. And Green Speed cutting edge designs create performance through Aussie ingenuity and laid back cycles, the top USA dealer for Terra Trike and the premier source for Cat Trike, Ice, and Green Speed. We give you the freedom to ride and Connecticut Yankee Peddler. We feature multiple brands of trikes, including electric assist models, test rides, and Southern Iowa hospitality are always available at our mega store in Cheriton. And Avenue Trikes. With the gearing you need and the comfort you want, it's time to enjoy riding again. They're in stock, ready to ship, and only $19.95. Dealer inquiries are welcome. And Azub. In addition to the titanium suspension, another technological gem brought to you by Azub is an optional folding mechanism. It is not only easy to operate, but works great and looks fantastic. And recumbent PDX, Cat Trikes West Coast Megastore. Schedule your test ride on trikes with pedal assist electric from both Bosch and Bafang, roll-off and schlumpf component groups, and adaptive builds. Experience the joy of Cat Trike. And... EcoCycles. Adding e-assist to your bent can be a daunting task. With total focus on customer service, the experts at EcoCycles make this upgrade simple and worry-free. Check out EcoCycles today. All right, guys, we're going to be back with you in August. Uh, it's the 14th, August 14th at 2 p.m. Eastern time as always, and we'll tell you more about what's going to be on that show uh, later on during the August month. Now, would you like to support the Late Back Bike Report? We hope you would. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and click on that little white eye up there, and it will take you right to the laidbackbikereport.com website where you can find oh so much more information about what we do. And uh, you can also sign up to be a Patreon uh, patron right there, like all of these fine folks who have done so. Um, you can do that there or at patreon.com and search for the Laidback Bike Report there. You can do it for as little as a dollar a month. All right, uh, Trey. But if you can get everybody up on the screen there, I didn't mean hop to it. I just meant to get them. I don't know where that came from. So uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting show. We got the bobbleheads going there. I don't know. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm hoppity hippity. Oh, that's uh, that's what that was about. Thank you. Yeah, you, you made my my remark relevant. That's important, I guess. So, uh, yeah, great job, guys. We appreciate it. it. Turned out to be a fine show, I think, and uh, couldn't have done it without your help. Uh, Trey, Larry, switching around jobs today. You guys did a fantastic job. Uh, Larry, Denny, Joseph, thank you all uh, for helping us out today as well. So I appreciate your help, and I appreciate all of you for watching every month the Layback Bike Report. So until our next webcast, 
from all of us here at the Laid Back Bike Report, so long, bet riders.